Please be seated. Very good morning to all of you. I want to uh, especially wish those of you who happen to be fathers, happy Father's Day. Right? Uh, Father's Day, I don't know, uh, uh, is an interesting uh, uh, day. The other day, I was scrolling through social media, and there was a comedian from the U.S. came out, and he said, you know, um, he's not so sure he enjoys Father's Day. Because in the U.S., they find that the most celebrated, uh, um, uh, the top two holidays that are celebrated are, number one, Christmas, and number two, Mother's Day. So it's Jesus, then Mama. <laughs> you know where Father's Day is? Number 20. <laughs> Way down the list, and they got Halloween is like number six, right? So you celebrate ghouls and demons more than they celebrate fathers. Uh, and you wonder why, right? I, I think, you know, because we're men, right? No need to waste time and money. Or maybe they think, not worth it. Nah. <laughs> you figure it out. Nah. But nonetheless, you know, I think it's important that we uh, um, thank God for fathers, and especially Abba Father, right? And we'll talk about that as we move on into this passage. But uh, I want to take some time to look at the passage here found in uh, Romans chapter 5. Last week, we looked at Romans 4, just the verses preceding this. I talked about the background to Romans. is a letter which Paul wrote to a church he had yet to visit. He was hoping to visit on his way from Jerusalem to Spain. Uh, it, you know, Rome would have been right smack dab in the middle of that journey. And Rome, of course, was the most important city in his day because uh, the Roman Empire now extended throughout the entire Mediterranean and the whole world in which he was operating. So the church in Rome was an important church. But as we look at this, you know, he points out, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I was sharing, he wrote to the Romans telling them, you know, basically the, the heart of the word, message that he brings the heart of the gospel. And the first four chapters, he's really laying uh, the foundation, talking about the fact that, you know, despite the fact uh, God has revealed himself, you know, man has turned his back on God and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter if you are a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian, whether, you know, you have uh, believed in God, you know, all have sinned, he points out. Uh, and, and this is the common state that they're in, but God's grace, like last week we talked about, you know, that which we stand upon is the promise which God gave, uh, firstly through Abraham, but then to all of us who believe. And it's in that we have peace with God. But when you stop and you think about the peace of God, you know, what are you thinking of? Oftentimes we think of peace of God as being an inner disposition, you know, oh, I'm at peace. All is well, all is well, <laughs> right? But it goes far beyond that. It, it's it's the, the Hebraic concept of the shalom, which means, you know, all things are well, that we prosper in everything and every area of our life, that the relationships are all right, not just in terms of human relationships, but even uh, between our relationships with uh, uh, um, creation and how God has created the world. But of course, we know nothing could be further from the truth. And in some sense, as we look through this passage, I've sort of organized it 
around uh, the three tenses of salvation. What do I mean by that? You know, salvation uh, belongs to our God, Scripture tells us. And the reality is this. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. That there is a past, a present, and a future tense to salvation. And he sets it up here by uh, carrying on in verse 2, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here we see the future tense of salvation. The hope that we have is in what is yet to come, what is yet to be. That hymn of heaven uh, uh, intimates that what we just sang what we look forward to, the consummation of God's kingdom fully. That's what we are uh, um, uh, orientating ourselves towards. But, you know, if you just think only of Christianity and the gospel and the good news that we receive as something for the future, you know, you end up being of, uh, uh, so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good, right? It's possible sometimes to just think of um, something that's far off and, and not part of the realities of living life. But Paul didn't want us to have that sort of orientation either. So he carries on then in verses 3 and 4. He says this, Not only that, not only thinking and rejoicing in the future, we also rejoice in our sufferings, in the here and now. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know, when we think about living life as Christians, most of us, I look across this room, have been Christians for quite a while. And I don't know what your experience was. I, I, I remember a very young boy when I began to fully understand uh, the, the presentation of the gospel. And I, I remember many presentations of the gospel. Oftentimes they tell you, you know, Believe in Jesus and, you know, everything will go right in your life. Those of us who've lived long enough know that's not always the case, is it? Right? It's, it's not like it's a bed of roses after you become a Christian. That there is this inevitability about suffering. Yesterday I was talking to the young people and how as Christians, one of the realities we face is the reality of unanswered prayers. How often have we come before God and we think, Lord, I'm serving you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Please give me good health. And then your visit to the doctor, you discover, right, that um, especially those of us who are aging, things break down. You know, there is wear and tear. And there are consequences uh, uh, to the ways we've lived our life in the past that unfortunately, you know, we are paying the price today and now. Or we pray and we believe, Lord, you know, let me in this uncertain economic climate continue to have a job. And then you go in to the office and then you discover everyone's very upset. <laughs> and what's happened? You know, there's huge layoffs because the company needs to cut costs. Or those who are engaged in business want to honour God in all that they do and pray and believe. But at the end of the day, Things don't work out because of economic headwinds and the like. Suffering is an, uh, 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 a reality and a fact of life. 
it sometimes is expressed, you know, in, in, in the question people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And this is the reality that we all face. But as I look at Paul's, um, you know, uh, 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 speaking about the fact that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, it sort of reminded me as, uh, of my younger days when I was far more physically active. I was engaged in a lot of uh, sports. I, I didn't. I was telling the young people um, yesterday how uh, I, I, I swam for the school, I ran for the school, I played rugby, I played water polo. In those days, you can take all the CCAs you want to take. <laughs> now they limit you, right? And only one CCA. But, you know, I was very competitive and, and I remember uh, vividly, you know, in the training we had, the coaches would be yelling at us, come on, no pain, no gain, right? They'll keep telling you. Or, or they tell you, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And uh, the idea that this, this testing, the suffering you go through ultimately produces something, right? That, that, that training and that dedication, uh, the hours I spent in the pool uh, resulted in me winning a race, you know, and then standing on the rostrum and getting your gold medal is like, wow, worth it. That's what you would think at that point in time until the next race and you lose, right? But nonetheless, the, the, the reality is that, you know, there is this progression and there is a purpose to it, I believe, in God's economy. That times we do enter into suffering because God may be trying to get our attention. There are times the suffering we endure is because of the consequence of our own actions when we've been unwise or we've been downright disobedient. The Lord often tries to get our attention. But not all suffering is a consequence of our own actions. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. And it's also true that the suffering we face can be a consequence of other people's actions or actions of society as a whole. And that's a reality that we face. But you know what? It's in the midst of that that our endurance produces character, that the Lord helps us to get through these things. And it's, it's what gives us this uh, uh, longing for hope, isn't it? That's why we know we look for something beyond. There must be something better than this. That we are made for something better than this. And it's in that context then we come to verse 5, which is really the heart of uh, uh, why I wanted to speak about in this particular sermon. And I think it's one of the important portions of the, the, the passage. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Uh, quite literally, um, um, John Stott, talking about the uh, Greek language and the word that's used, this poured out is the same uh, um, um, root word that was used in Acts chapter 2. When, you know, quoting Joel, Peter says, Holy Spirit is poured out into all flesh. That this pouring out of God is like a permanent flood. You know, it's not just one-time thing, but it goes on giving and giving and pouring and pouring. And in a sense, what 
um, 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 Paul is now pointing to is the fact that, you know, it's rooted and founded on what God has done in the past. And that's where these next uh, few verses uh, come in. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Do you realize that this peace with God comes despite the fact that we have been hostile towards Him? Right? If you look at this passage, and I extracted and highlighted the fact that, you know, what Paul points out is that we are weak, we are ungodly, we are still sinners, and we are, we are enemies uh, from God, enemies with God. Despite that condition, God reconciled us to Himself. That God brought us together. That's where that verse, uh, uh, Romans 5.8 comes, right? That God demonstrates His love to us in that. You see, how do we understand how much a person loves us? Right? Some of us uh, have fathers. I certainly did have a father who loved to give gifts. And oftentimes, in the giving of the gift, you understand how much your father loves you. And it's related to two things. Number one, the uh, type of gift you received, how uh, either expensive or unique or you know, very needed that gift is, versus how deserving you are of receiving that gift. Think about it. All of us are parents, right? Sometimes we do this. We, we try and bribe our children to do well. Uh, they've got a big exam coming up. Okay, son. PSLE, you do well. You get all A-star. We will go to Disneyland. <laughs> and then, yes, the results happen. And you still, you go to Disneyland. It's like the kid goes and, you know what? Kid says to themselves, I deserve it. <laughs> Give a pat on the back. On the other hand, if the gift is lavish and the uh, uh, person who receives is undeserving, what does that gap tell you? The gap tells you how much the giver loves the receiver, isn't it? Very often that's the case, that uh, a gift that's given in that way. And it's in that context that Paul is saying this in Romans 5. He says, this hope will not lead to disappointment, right? The hope that we have in the future, the salvation that we will receive. Why? Because of what God has already done in saving us. That we who were weak, who were ungodly, those of us who were sinners, 
and uh, enemies ultimately of God, He gave Himself for us. That Jesus died on the cross for us. That He did not withhold Himself. That is why hope will not disappoint. Last week I talked about, you know, how uh, past performance of God is a guarantee of future results and future yields and the, the, the future that we can bank in Him. But this passage concludes in verse 11. It says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And, you know, what's interesting is that word there, also rejoice pointing to the fact that three times in this passage, Paul tells us to rejoice. And in many ways, it, it, it's this uh, um, reflection of the three tenses of salvation, the past, the present, and the future. In verse 2, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is what we look for in the future in, God, in terms of God's salvation for us that is still to come. But we also rejoice in our sufferings that God is in the process of saving us. That the, world, the, the, the life that we go through now, God has not abandoned us. He is with us through that. And He teaches us lessons through the realities of life. And God is in the process of saving us. That's what uh, uh, um, Christians talk about, sanctification. That's what it is, right? That the Lord is purifying us and, and, and forming us and shaping us and molding us into the character that we need to have. But ultimately, it's founded on the reality that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, what He has already done in Christ. That which we come together, especially on this day, to remember when we come to His table. That His blood shed for us, His body broken for us, tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reading from the gospel uh, is a familiar passage. Not only is it talking about the calling of the 12 disciples, but just prior to that, you see Jesus in ministry. And in particular, verse 36 of uh, Matthew 9, it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, or harassed and helpless in other versions, it says, like sheep without a shepherd. And we live in a world that is shepherdless, that people are directionless. And my, may I suggest, in essence, it's because we are fatherless. You know, we talk about Father's Day, and Father's Day is often bittersweet for people because many people have had a complicated relationship with their father. All of us sitting here today have a biological father. We know that, right? We wouldn't be here if uh, um, somehow or other father wasn't involved. But there are many who have grown up without a father in terms of a father figure either because the father had abandoned them or they had never known the father or his love, or even if the father was in the household, he seemed absent. Or in other ways, we have had fathers who have been abusive. 
and have abused their position. We talk about fatherhood, you know, it's bittersweet for me because I, 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 I love to be recognized, but sometimes I feel like I don't deserve that recognition because I have not even lived up to my own standards of what I think a father ought to be. You know, wondering whether my children consider me a good father or not, I don't know. I've tried. But this fatherlessness, you know, is, is something which we, we talked about how, you know, the um, um, Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. But it reminds me of the fact that later on in uh, Romans, there's another action which the Holy Spirit does, which I think it's related to pouring out the love of God into our hearts. It's this, you know, it, it, it says in Romans 8, uh, verse 15, that we have this spirit of adoption, i.e. the Holy Spirit, that allows us to call Him Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It enab- the Holy Spirit at work in us enables us to understand God's immense love for us so that we can call Him our Father. I've come across in my ministry people who've sometimes had a great difficulty with relating to God as Father because their relationship with their earthly father has been a real um, um, problem in their own life, an obstacle. Because they've never experienced the love of a father. All they saw from their father was judgment or even, in some ways, evil intent. But the Holy Spirit tells us that God, our Heavenly Father, is the perfect Father. Is the Father that all of us long for. A Father who knows us and knows us well. And despite who we are, continues to love us through our waywardness. That's why, you know, the psalmist talks about God being the father of the fatherless. That He is the one who protects those of us who feel abandoned. Those who have no family, we turn to the Father. And that's the key, I think, for us. You know, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, that's, I think, what God intends is for us to be witnesses What are we to be witnesses of? We need to be witnesses of the Father's love for us. Isn't that right? To introduce a fatherless generation, a shepherdless generation who are confused and helpless to the one who is shepherd of their souls. And I pray that as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to do His deep work in us, that that healing continues in each and every one of us, so that ultimately we understand the Father's love and that we receive that love which we have so longed for in life. And it is out of that healed heart we share the love of God with others. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging, Lord, that we need you.
that so much of life we have struggled to find love. But as you remind us once again this morning that you are the ultimate source of love, that you are a God who loves us with an everlasting love, that Lord, you loved us even when we were far from you, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were still sinners. Lord, even when we were enemies, your love reached out to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we enjoy the reality of the salvation already obtained for us by Jesus on the cross, I pray that that grace continues to permeate our lives in the here and now. Despite the circumstances, Lord, may we always be assured of your love for us. And may we look to the, uh, what is to come, where the full consummation of your love will be demonstrated as you redeem all of creation, us included. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.